0: Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. In 1624, the poet John Donne wrote a series of reflections as he was recovering from typhus. Those reflections became known as the Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. And meditation number 17 has become particularly the best known of them and was later turned into a poem by, who knows, but it was later turned into a poem. No man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls it tolls for thee in his own way Don was expressing that age-old truth that we were never intended to be alone that we were intended to live in community it's a truth that God himself expressed in his earliest dealings with Adam because he declared it isn't good that man should be alone I'll make a helper fit for him that was the only time in all of creation that God declared that something wasn't good it's not good that man should be alone he never intended that we should try and live a solitary existence, alone, without friends, and without community. We were created to live in the heart of a loving family, whether direct family, extended, or going beyond that into the heart of a caring community. And having all said all that, about individuals, the same is true for the church. As we read in scripture about how we're being built into the bride of Christ, one thing's clear, there's no room for independence, because we are being joined together. Although many refer to churches as being independent, to demonstrate their freedom from denominational control. The truth is that we are all to be joined, to be dependent on one another, both individually and as churches. And so as we carry on looking at our values about how we rate... I'm not doing very well this morning. About how we relate to others in our family of churches within New Frontiers this is our value we want to be a church which is fully involved in our shared mission as a part of the New Frontiers family of churches to extend the kingdom of God globally through the recovery of New Testament church life making disciples training leaders and planting churches by all means including wholehearted financial commitment, welcoming other ministries, regularly attending corporate gatherings, promoting publications and communicating our family news. So what is New Frontiers? You know, it's a question we often get asked, and it's sometimes difficult to answer, because people's understanding of the issues vary so widely. We get asked questions like, is New Frontiers a denomination? I don't believe it is. How do you join? Simply put, you can't. Because New Frontiers is a worldwide family of churches together on a mission. Now some of those words need further explanation. Worldwide. The New Frontiers family currently stretches right around the world. From America through Europe, through Asia, through Russia... And into Japan, from Scotland and Canada in the north, right down to Australia and New Zealand in the south. And altogether, we have about 260 churches, sorry, 280 churches in the UK, that together have 20,000-odd members. Globally, we have over 700 churches in more than 60 nations. We are worldwide, and growingly so. whether we're a denomination or not really depends on what you mean and what you understand by that term if you use the word sim- simply to mean that New Frontiers is a label that describes us then probably we are a denomination because our churches are happy to be identified as part of the New Frontiers family Unlike other mainstream denominations, we do not have a head office that controls us. We are like a family. We are held together by relationship, seeing the benefit in what we can achieve by working together and by sharing a common mission. Together. You know, togetherness takes effort. I don't know whether you've ever tried working with people that you don't get on with. It can be hard work. It's even harder when you have to work with people that are not working together. You end up pulling in different directions and even working against one another. We as a family are determined to work together and that's why we spend so much time meeting together and developing key relationships as leaders, as congregations and as individuals. It's why events like North are so important to us. It's why New Day and Mobilize are so important for our young people and our students. When we work together, with shared vision and purpose, the results of our effort are multiplied. A worldwide family of churches, together on a mission. Our shared mission is simple. We have a passionate commitment to build the church according to New Testament principles. We believe the most effective form of evangelism is working out of strong local churches. Churches where every member participates. Where the gifts of the Spirit are free to be outworked. And where there's joy in caring for one another. Where there's a desire to make a difference in the community and the society around us. And an urgency in reaching those in need. And we aim to achieve that by restoring the church, making disciples, training leaders, starting new churches and reaching the nations. The aim is to change the expression of Christianity around the world. We're part of a worldwide family of churches together on that mission. Now believe it or not, that's not a new idea. This is a biblical model for the way in which... (laughs) Churches are called to work together. And what excites me is we're beginning to see the same model starting to work across the denominations here in Doncaster as well, through the One Heart, One Voice network. But let's look at an example in the Bible. The church in Antioch. You can read about it first of all in Acts 11. I'm starting at verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined that everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. In this passage, we read about normal life in one of the early churches. As the Roman persecution of the Christians worsened, God used their scattering to his advantage. And as a result, a group of believers sprang up in Antioch. This church wasn't the result of strategy or planning but a result of God's hand being at work. And when Barnabas was sent to see what is happening, he seemed he was very content with the foundations that he had seen laid so far. Because it says he saw the grace of God and he was glad. And as he laboured alongside them, the numbers continued to grow. And so eventually he turned to Paul for assistance. And then we see that Paul and Barnabas spent a considerable amount of time in Antioch and that church there became in due time a vital base for them from which they went out and planted and strengthened many other churches. So this morning I want us to look at what the hallmarks were of this excellent church. And to what extent and how can we seek to model those qualities? The first thing which is very apparent about the church in Antioch is it was a receiving church. (coughs) As we've seen, the church in Antioch was established following the persecution of people in Jerusalem and their movement to the surrounding regions. And given that the church was formed in that way, out of persecution and out of difficulty, it would have been quite understandable, particularly with the absence of modern communications or transport, if believers in Antioch had become isolated and detached from their mother church in Jerusalem. Particularly because the distance between them is some 300 miles. It would have been very likely that encouraging too much contact with the church in Jerusalem could have led persecution to their very doorstep in Antioch as well. Yet according to Luke's account in Acts 11, that didn't seem to enter their minds. Despite the distance... Despite having become self-established, the Antioch Church realised that they had a shared mission, and that they received as a result a wide variety of input from outside ministries. Barnabas was the first, and Paul, and they spent a year with them, teaching them and laying the doctrinal foundations. In the same way, we have the pleasure from time to time to receive gifted men who come to strengthen and establish the local church here in Doncaster. And over the years, we've been blessed. We've received apostolic and prophetic ministry from leaders based in other churches who are eager to see us become everything we are called to be. We've been encouraged by their preaching, We've been sharpened in our focus. And I'm glad that we're not a sad, forlorn, isolated church. I'm glad that we're part of a family of churches where others are eager for the best for us. And then secondly, Antioch was a sending church. In addition to Paul and Barnabas, Agabus and the other prophets spent time there as well. And on one occasion we read that Agabus brought what was to become a significant prophecy to the church of a coming famine. And when they heard that, about this crisis that was coming, the disciples decided that they would do what they could to send relief. You can read about it in verses 28 and 30. In effect, they took up an offering. Each gave according to his ability. And that gift was taken back to the church in Jerusalem by Paul and Barnabas. Such was the strength of relationship that existed between the two churches that they felt compelled to act. They were sending provisions to their brothers. Because they were in a true family relationship. Famine, deprivation are tragedies that are sadly not confined to the first century. In recent years throughout Africa, similar crises have been all too common. In recent years as a family of churches, we've given over half a million pounds to help our brothers in Zimbabwe and as a result they've started to put together programs which are changing the face of that nation. Even more astonishing is the sums that have been equaled in previous years and sent to those stricken by the droughts in Kenya where our churches in Kenya have set up feeding stations that have saved the lives of thousands upon thousands. To have that opportunity to give our money as a local church to trustworthy men who share with us the longing to see the advance of God's kingdom across the nations by feeding the poor, by clothing the naked, it's quite an honour. But in addition to financial giving, the church in Antioch were also led by the Holy Spirit to send far more. You can read about this in Acts 13. It says this, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul and while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them then after fasting and praying they laid hands on them and sent them off. What we can see is that despite Paul and Barnabas having become key leaders amongst them, when they heard God calling them to a different work, they released them and sent them on their way for the work to which he had called them. And as hard as it must have been for those two exceptionally gifted and loved leaders to be lost, they did it. They were committed to seeing the kingdom advance. So there was no hesitation. And in that process, they became a blessing to many. As a local church, we haven't yet had the joy or the heartache of sending people to plant or lead in other church settings. But believe me, it will come one day. It's a bittersweet moment because on the one hand you're seeing a dear friend move on but there's always the hope that their leaving will result in many more lives being transformed through the gospel somewhere else. Mission has to supersede sentimentality. Had the church in Antioch given in at this point? Just think how different the evangelisation of Asia and Europe might have been. Thirdly, Antioch was a praying church. Luke makes the point of noting that it was the church gathering to pray that was central to sending Paul and Barnabas away from Antioch. And when you read on through Acts 14, we see why covering this apostolic work in prayer was so vital. Because with every moment of advance, with every moment of fruitfulness, persecution and opposition followed quickly behind. And as a church, we need to be committed in prayer to the apostolic mission that we have as a family. When we read about new initiatives, when we hear about church plants, we have a role in covering their work with our prayers, just like others have and continue to do for us. The call of God upon us is both adventurous and for some dangerous, and so prayer cannot be neglected. I meet with hundreds of other New Frontiers church leaders regularly for days of prayer and fasting, and that is what remains the powerhouse at the heart of all we do together as a family. Fourthly, Antioch was an equipping church. We read this, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done for them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Having successfully completed the work they were sent out to do, Paul and Barnabas returned to the church in Antioch. They were bruised and tired, but they didn't have a story to tell. And Luke paints this wonderful picture as he describes how they gathered the church together, they reported everything that God had done through them, And how he opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And then they stayed there for a long time with those disciples. It was plain that from this account, that the mission into new places and new nations wasn't something being done independently by a few. It was a work owned from start to finish, by the whole congregation in Antioch it was rooted and established in the local church not only did that give the Antioch church an exciting global vision but it provided those who were sent out with a base to return to where their needs could be met and where they could be served And that's something we have to be careful to build into any ministries that we see develop. When we gather at various events each year, we hear reports of new breakthroughs around the world. We receive ministry from those who are spearheading what we're doing. And all of that filters into the local church. Now some people may think we talk a lot about new frontiers, about new frontiers this or new frontiers that. In fact, I've heard it said that people have never been in a church where so much emphasis has been put on what the family of churches is doing. I think they mean it as a criticism. But we should take that as a compliment. Because there is so much to be excited about, about what is going on within the family. Why would we not want to talk about it? Why would we not want to be praying about it and becoming engaged with it as partners? Just like the church in Antioch. The result of all this is a family of churches that live and breathe apostolic mission churches that develop and send leaders and ultimately which result in transformed lives and kingdom advance that's how it was worked out in Acts long may that continue I've got a few practical things, just by way of application. They're not hard, they don't sound spiritual. I want to encourage you to engage with the wider vision of New Frontiers, to read the newsletters and the magazines, to let what's going on around the world, around this country, excite you to pray for these things. (coughs) That when we have regional gatherings, celebrations, think about coming. Think about coming to North. There's no greater opportunity in the next few months to engage than that will give engage with our shared mission. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.